0: Exodus 22.18, before we read it, let's pray. Father, thank you for the people that have come out here tonight to study your word. There's nothing more important than hearing what you have to say. And you've given us so much in the Bible that we can feast upon Lord. Literally, we can feed upon the word of God and it nourishes the soul. Tonight, God, we come to you. We say like the psalmist, we look to the mountains. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord maker of heaven and earth, Lord. And tonight, Lord, as we look at a subject of the occult and witchcraft and things of that nature, we pray that you'll give us a spiritual covering tonight. We pray that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. We also pray, Lord, that for the benefit of those who might hear our witness or the witness of this CD or tape, we pray for them as well. We pray you'll draw us to yourself and You'll help us to understand who you are, that will bring you glory, that will know that you are holy and righteous and just, and incredibly loving and merciful, and that we'll fall on our faces day in and day out and serve the true King, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we did a series in August, uh, we studied uh, five weeks on what we call Christian apologetics, And in that five weeks, we tackled um, various subjects. We talked about the evidences uh, for the existence of God. We talked about the alleged lost tomb of Jesus, where there's a group of people trying to disprove the resurrection. They don't come out right out and say it, but that's precisely what they're trying to do to uh, ruin the biblical picture of the resurrection, although they failed miserably as we saw that Sunday. We talked about the secret. The secret given on the Oprah Winfrey show that so uh, that speak of words of power and that you can basically control your own environment and hence your destiny by simply knowing the right formula or thinking positively. And we kind of rummaged through that with the professor and talked about uh, what is good about being positive and what's unbiblical and what simply will not work. No matter how, what you think of that hot fudge Sunday, no matter how you speak to it, it will make you fat if you eat enough of those. And so there are, there's absolutely no power in those words whatsoever. And then we talked about um, the world of witchcraft and Wicca And we broached that subject and we talked about the occult and we talked about what witches believe and what they practice and their desire to uh, basically, again, control their own environment. They believe in uh, everything in nature is basically uh, divine. Uh, They believe in reincarnation. They believe that you'll live over and over again. They do believe that there are spirits out there, at least some witches do. And they believe that you can contact these entities and somehow this could be potentially beneficial although some admit that it could be very dangerous at times as well and then we went into the world of yoga and on that final Sunday we talked about that yoga comes from a Hindu uh, philosophy a Hindu teaching several thousand years old which teaches through the postures of yoga you can become uh, in touch with Brahman which essentially is that all is God and you are simply part of the all being God and you need to merge back with Brahman and experience your own divinity. And we saw a common thread there a common thread of people believing somehow the old lie in Genesis 3 that we are gods, or in some sense, an extension of the divine. Now, we are simply made in the the image of God. That's certainly true, and that's a great honor to be human. But we are not God. We never will be God. God has cornered the market on deity. Uh, Nobody else is going to make it, no matter what their shirt and tie look like, name badge, or bicycle. And so tonight... We are going to look at a singular verse in Exodus 22. But it's a power-packed verse. And it's a verse that uh, recommends uh, more than that. It talks about what to do with a sorcerer. And if you have the King James Version, it actually reads, Suffereth not a witch to live. If you have the New American Standard, it says, You shall not allow a sorceress to live. Uh, By the way, just if you need the translation, that means... They should die, and so the question then arises: What in the world um, is going on here, and why is God so harsh when it comes to this particular type of individual? And if you haven't been with us, you know that in previous weeks God's been talking about uh, what happens when certain people do things, and when they do things, uh, some penalties were death. That God said, "You know what? If you do this, die." And uh, God was swift about his judgment. And we wonder, well, how does all that work out with the grace that we hear about and the mercy of God? And, and uh, is, is this just, you know, God just exacting this judgment? Well, let's take a look at it. You shall not allow a sorceress to live. Now, what is a sorceress? If you have the King James I mentioned, you shall not uh, suffer a witch to live. Well, a sorceress... Um comes from the Greek word, if we look at the New Testament, translates sorcery pharmakia. Is from which we get our word pharmacy and pharmaceutical. It was originally used of medicines in general, but came to be used primarily of mood and mind-altering drugs similar to those that create so much havoc in our day. Many ancient religious ceremonies involved occultic practices in which drugs were used to induce supposed communication with deities, and pharmakia thereby came to be closely related with witchcraft and magic. Aristotle and other ancient Greek writers used the word as a synonym for witchcraft and black magic because drugs were so commonly used in that practice. And here's how it would go, basically. The drug would enter you into a altered state of consciousness and thereby you would be more open uh, to a deity either coming in and possessing you or an altered state of consciousness where you allegedly could contact a deity or some sort of entity that uh, in the occult they thought would help you. If you want a definition of the occult, it means this. Uh, The occult is fascination with the hidden Secret, unknown, undisclosed, the non normal, the study of secret or hidden knowledge and practices. And if your worldview is Christian, the forbidden. Another definition of the occult from the Latin occultus, meaning the hidden, the occluded, the blocked or obstructed, the secret, the esoteric, knowledges or practices. It is composed of three basic categories divination, magic, or sorcery and spiritism. There are numerous theories on how this works and why it does. However, according to biblical theology, it originates from and constitutes interaction with either Satan or demonic spirits. And so people who are involved in the occult open a door, and I think Walter Martin said it well, that the handle of the door is on our side. Uh, he even tells a story of a young girl, 17-year-old girl, who was in a Christian family who playing with a Ouija board uh, she was getting answers from the spirit of the board, if you will, and one day she recalls it entering into her, and she said she lost control of her faculties whenever the demonic spirits, which became multiple, decided to do so. So this is a very real uh, part of our reality. We don't see spirits Uh, but we can certainly read about them in Scripture and we've certainly heard enough experiential situations from either missionaries or well-respected Christians and even doctors who might not give their names but will tell you that they've encountered patients who are not insane, they're not mentally unstable, they are simply being possessed by something evil. We have a tough time in our culture, by the way, calling evil, evil. When someone massacres 32 people on a college campus, we try to figure out whether the person is mentally deranged or we try to put something on it. He, he must have been missing this or that. But folks, in the Bible, there is such a thing as just clear-cut evil. Some people are evil and some people are so manipulated by evil that they do evil things. And the Bible doesn't pull any punches. And when God deals with people who are involved in what he calls forbidden, he often just says, take them out. And it's a clear cut. It's over. End of discussion. There is no discussion. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, after terrible plagues come on mankind, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither hear uh, nor walk. And they did not repent, they would not change, if you will, of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Now the question is, When mankind is this fascinated and entrenched with the occult, what is the lure of the occult? And and what is it that people desire from occult uh, contact? Well, there are several things. One thing is that there's a lot of people who are simply lonely in our society. And they find occult groups. And occult groups are simply groups. They're groups of people that will often make people feel welcome and give them the... um, Hope of a better life and power. And so oftentimes people get into the cult because it's something very much like church. There's a group of people that maybe you have some things in common with and you can connect with, and there are a lot of lonely people out there. Secondly, people get involved in the occult because people are wrestling with the big questions but don't necessarily want to turn to God for the answers. And so often people want to know about the future. They want to know about dead loved ones. They want to know about their own life and potential death. And so they want answers to those questions, so they'll go to a medium or a spiritist or someone who could allegedly read their palm and so forth. And they will open up a door where the information's not coming from God, but it can be intriguing. We've had more than one story, and you guys could probably share it, where someone went to somebody like this and got accurate information. And the accurate information was not coming from the source of God, but from Satan or demonic spirits with the intent to hook somebody into the occult by promising uh, some sort of uh, high knowledge to the secret or occluded things. And that's simply what the occult means. It means you're trying to get behind the veil that God says is forbidden and get information that he says is off limits. Maybe you want to know it about a dead loved one. Maybe you want to know about your future. And Satan is a being that's been around for a long time and he does have information. And uh, someone may go to an occult reading and find out where the lost jewel is that Aunt May had or something. And they say, hey, look, it's pragmatic. It worked. And Dr. Martin used to say, just because something uh, is real doesn't mean that it is something that you should participate in. Just because something, just because you get some real information about something that uh, uh, works or you find something or you find something that's accurate, it does not mean that it's of God. As a matter of fact, there are people in psychic um, circles and people involved in the New Age and, and different things like that, Christian science, who claim to have been healed physically. And is it possible that Satan could perform a healing? Well, we know in 2 Thessalonians 2 9 that it says of the Antichrist that he's going to be able to do all kinds of lying signs and wonders. And Jesus said, if it were possible, these types of things would deceive even the elect. So we do know that there'll be impressive miracles connected to the Antichrist. And by the way, who is the power behind the Antichrist? Well, none other than Satan himself. So, if someone received a healing, and whether uh, you could debate whether or not you think it's real or not, but if someone was physically healed, is that the end all? Does God want every person to be healed physically? Is that the end for the Christian? No, it's not. The Christian is just passing through. We're a sojourner onto another destination. We'll be here as long as God wants us to be here. And the point is this that even if you, if you were to receive a healing, it could be demonic. It could be something, again, to hook you in to the occult. Uh, you want to check and see if that one's on cool because it might not be working. I think that bottom part tells you, Keith. Speaking of uh, wanting to live on, you remember King Hezekiah. Uh, God said, get your affairs in order, you're going to die. Hezekiah said, I don't want to die. He was pleading with the Lord. The Lord gave him 15 more years, and in those 15 years, it produced an offspring named Manasseh. Manasseh undid everything that Hezekiah worked hard for. In 2 Chronicles thirty-three six, it says, He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the old saying is, Hezekiah might look back after 15 years and see Manasseh and said, Oh, better I would have died, you know, than, than had this kid that... Undid everything that I did uh, for the Lord. So people are hungry. They're hungry for answers to big questions. People are hungry to find out about death. They do certainly want to know if there's something on the other side. The movie Ghost brought that out with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, where you had an intriguing story where someone dies and he becomes a ghost, and it was a box office hit. And why so? Because it gave people this, this kind of uh, behind-the-scenes look at what might happen. Now, evidently, from the movie, we, we got the idea that Patrick Swayze was not a Christian. He was living with his girlfriend, and they were intimate and so forth. But it seemed like the message was, well, the good guy uh, ends up in heaven, and the guy who's really evil and kills people doesn't, and it doesn't matter what you do with your life, and, and a medium can even be part of this whole equation to work all this stuff out. Well, that's not of God. But there were stories about people, one lady in particular, who had lost a a daughter tragically to death that watched the movie hundreds of times to to get consolation for her loss and hope and going to a movie. And uh, the devil is very clever about the way he does these things. And then finally, people want to control their own reality. That's why they get uh, caught up in occult things because there's power. Because the devil promises power. And if I can manipulate reality or even control people or circumstances, I feel powerful. I feel like I'm better than the average Joe. And if I can get it from the devil and even as the old rock and roller uh, legends go, sell my soul to the devil and get fame and fortune in this life, well, then I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to lay that bet. I'm willing to roll those dice for temporary pleasure. And uh, But the problem with that temporariness is that you're going to have to deal with eternity. And you're going to face the God who said, I suffereth not a witch to live. I mean, in essence, God is saying that there are some people that are involved in these types of things that He wants taken out. Now, blessed are we that are in the new covenant because God is patient with all people. He's calling all people everywhere to repent. And we know people in witchcraft and Eastern religions who have come to the Lord, and that's by the grace of God. But here, God is very serious about the punishment for someone messing around with sorcery. Now, I want to give you a a couple definitions, because I think we often fail to give Christians good definitions. And I want to uh, just tell you about what a witch and witchcraft are. And sorcery is slightly different than witchcraft, but I, I think you'll get the idea. Witchcraft is also known as Wicca, the craft or the craft of the wise, and it's defined this way. It is an anti-dogmatic, anti-authoritarian, diverse, decentralized, eclectic, experience-based, nature-oriented religious movement. The followers are polytheists, they believe in many gods, and or pantheists, they believe all is God, and in some sense believe in or experience and or invoke or worship the mother goddess and generally her consort, the horned god. So they believe in a mother god and some sort of horned god who's a consort to what they call the triple goddess. And they are worshipped as the t- two primary deities, but remember that witches and those involved in Wicca and the occult often believe in a multitude of gods and believe that even within nature there is divinity. And so they're very kind to animals and believe that there's even the divine in trees. And so you might see some movies that are influenced by the occult, and often uh, there will be a face in the tree, and the tree is alive. And uh, uh, all of these things are simply a reflection of the divine which is in everything. Uh, Witches are individuals who practice or concur with the views or experiences of witchcraft. Most view view divinity as imminent in nature. They see all life as sacred. Thus they deny any sacred or secular distinction. They are nature-oriented. They also see no ultimate distinction between matter and spirit, the material and spiritual. They believe in or invoke a pantheon of gods and goddesses, but they primarily experience... And or invoke this mother god or triple goddess and her male consort, the horn god. Witches generally practice multiple forms of what's called divination. They participate in trances and other altered states of consciousness and perform magical spells and incantations. So this is what witches do. They are uh, ones who get involved in these uh, trance states. They believe they can get in touch with these nature deities, especially the two primary ones, and they practice divination. Here's what divination is. Another definition, and then I'll stop boring you with the definitions. Divination is the attempt to obtain hidden, veiled, esoteric, or secret knowledge. It can be the attempt to ascertain the above knowledge about the past, Present or future through interpreting omens, channeling, clairvoyance, palmistry, crystal gazing, tarot cards, even Ouija boards. And there are several words in the Old Testament that we can talk about. Uh, One quote from Craig's book, he says, There are a number of devices that might be used for the purpose of contacting spiritual entities, such as a Ouija board, the pendulum, the alphabet board, to people who have developed uh, the ability to scry images of the future might appear on the mirror, a bowl of water, a crystal ball, or the polished blade of a sword. Probably the most popular object for scrying, which is looking into an object to read the future, uh, among Wiccans is the cauldron, another symbol of the goddess. So, this is what these people are about. They are trying to ascertain this secret knowledge, they're trying to somehow um, gr- grab onto this power source. And ultimately, uh, witches, whether male or female, are witches. By the way, they're not a witch and a wizard or a witch and a warlock. Whether it's a male or female, they are called a witch, and that's how they want to be known. By the way, and they are into this particular uh, religious practice where they are non-dogmatic, and of course, they are anti-Christianity. Uh, they don't believe uh, they believe Christianity is too narrow. They are not Satanists, by the way. They don't practice Satanism but they, they do not want uh, really anything to do with Christian belief and systems. Now, I'll give you a parallel verse, and then we'll, we're going to examine some passages together, together. Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, if you think about your Bible, and you think about the issue of defilement, what defiled a Jew? In the Jewish mind, how would one become defiled? Can you think of any things? What would defile a Jewish person? To where they would need ritual cleansing. It would be food, could be one thing of defilement. And you know the other thing could be what? Blood. Blood. Uh, Partaking in blood or touching a dead body. Now, God says, I don't want you to be in touch with. Mediums or spiritists don't seek them out to be defiled by them. Leviticus nineteen thirty one. Same word that's used for being defiled by dead bodies or by non kosher food and so forth. So God says that when one gets into occult practices, there is a defilement that happens before the Lord. And we would even argue that we've seen this not only in Christians who be uh, who maybe mess with the occult, but even Christians who maybe opened a door to the occult because there's a defilement that can happen. There's something that can soil you as you mess with these particular things. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you would. Deuteronomy 8, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And let's go through a little uh, odyssey of taking a look at what God has to say about witchcraft and sorcery and these kinds of things. You want Deuteronomy 8, uh, verse 1. All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God, this is Deuteronomy 8, 2, has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you be hungry, and He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Of course, Jesus quoted that in Matthew four four. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills. Skip down to verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do good for you, notice, in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Boy, we're always tempted to do that, huh? But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth. By the way, the faith teachers love to quote this verse, but they never quote it in context. That He might confirm His covenant with Israel, by the way, which He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And and it shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after, notice, other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, what was the problem with the uh, uh, other nations that they were going in to possess the land? What were they up to? They were worshiping what? Idols, which ultimately in uh, 1 Corinthians ten twenty, Paul said anything behind an idol is ultimately either the idol is nothing or it is demonic. And so, in essence, some of the psalms say that Israel ended up worshiping demons. Now, look at Deuteronomy uh, 11.31. If you turn there, 31, 11.31. You are about to cross the Jordan to go in to possess the land, which the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall possess it and live in it. And you shall be careful to do all the statutes, by the way, we're reading them now in Exodus, and the judgments which I am setting before you today. These are the statutes and the judgments, chapter 12, verse 1, which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire and you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods, and you shall obliterate their name from that place, you shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. Turn to Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 9. Deuteronomy eighteen nine. When you enter the land, Deuteronomy eighteen nine, which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate, what does God call it? the abominations or the detestable things of those nations. By the way, the professors mentioned that the Hebrew can mean that it's so abominable to God that it's something equating with human excrement. That's what God thinks of it. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. One who uses, would you note, divination. One who practices witchcraft or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer. Or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritus, or one who calls up the dead. By the way, the word for that is necromancy. For whoever does these things is what? Detestable, or it's an abomination to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. Why were the Canaanites and those folks in the land losing their land to Israel? Because they were worshiping demons, and they were involved in idolatry. And God said, I want them out. I want them destroyed is the bottom line. You shall be blameless, verse 13, before the Lord your God. For those nations which you shall dispossess, 14, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses is speaking, but he's speaking uh, prophetically of Jesus Christ, according to Acts 3.22. You can check it out. A prophet like me from among you, from your own countrymen, you shall listen to him. This is the bottom line. Now, a couple other parallel uh, verses in the Old Testament. Isaiah 8, 19 and 20. When, you say, uh, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony this is Isaiah 8:20 if they do not speak according to this word it is because they have uh, no dawn or it is because there is no light in them now was there ever a séance where a leader of God's people attempted to use a medium to get information and where was it found do you remember it was Saul. First Samuel. first Samuel. So let's turn there, see what happened. So you got Joshua judges, then Ruth, first and second Samuel. Okay. First Samuel. Let's look at verse uh, chapter eighteen. First Samuel, eighteen. This is the one seance recorded in the Bible, and it ended really bad. First Samuel twenty-eight. First Samuel. Uh, did I say eighteen? I'm sorry. 1 Samuel 28, beginning in verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, 1 Samuel 28, 3, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So, so far he's doing good. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem, And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Now, what does fear do for people? Well, fear makes us do often silly things or turn to other things places for answers. And we know from Saul's career that Saul was not doing really well at this point. As a matter of fact, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. We'll get into that a little bit later. But notice, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Now, hopefully fear will drive us to God, but in Saul's case, it did not. When Saul... Um, knew the Lord and was walking in the power of the Spirit, I want you to hold, hold your finger in 1 Samuel 28. Turn to 1 Samuel 10.6. I want to show you a verse that really intrigues me because it talks about when the Holy Spirit came upon Saul. 1 Samuel 10.6. Notice what it says here. 1 Samuel 10.6. It says, Then, 1 Samuel 10.6, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them. What's your Bible say there? And you will be turned or changed into another man. Why would Saul become another man? Because what had happened? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Could you put your name there tonight? Could you say, I've become another man since the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. Could you say tonight, I've become another woman since the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. True? Does that make all the difference? Whether or not God's Spirit's in you? And we would even say as as Christians whether or not He has control. (laughs) Whether or not we're surrendering, submitting to the Lord. Well, what a great verse. Uh, This tall, handsome Saul uh, everybody accepted him as king man he was right from the right tribe he was a tall good-looking guy the spirit of the lord came upon him he changed into another man won some battles early in his career but you know what happened go to first samuel 15 you know what saul's problem was anybody named saul's biggest problem He was bad at following directions. You know anybody like that? Bad at following directions. Now, us guys are bad at following directions. I don't know if you're like me. I don't like to read directions. I don't like to get directions. And whenever I'm on the road, I'm in a race. <laughs> and other people can relate to that. But anyway, First Samuel 15, notice what happens. Why then, verse 19, did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Now Saul's being addressed, and Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. <laughs> Sounds like my kids. I did! <laughs> and went out on the mission which the Lord sent me, and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction sacrifice We did it to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Your God, Samuel, at Gilgal. That's why we didn't wipe everything out. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings as sacrifices? You wanted to sacrifice? He told you to obey Him. Notice. As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. I want you to notice this. For rebellion what Saul just did is as the sin of what? And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king, radical. And Samuel, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. Because why did he do it? Because I feared the people and listened to their voice. You could imagine the scene. They're coming up. They're doing what God's called them to do in war. And the people say, hey, that's pretty cool. Hey, we could take that back. Tell them that we're going to sacrifice it to God. Yeah. Saul felt the pressure of the people. Much like we do sometimes, huh? We want to fit in. We. We may know that God's called us to do something or carry out His command, but what do we often do? We think, well, maybe I'll do this 80%. Or maybe I'll... And God said, no, I wanted you to do it 100%. Now go to First Samuel 16. Look at verse 12. 1 Samuel 16, 12. David's being picked now. So he sent and brought him David... Now, I added that, but it's David in 1 Samuel sixteen twelve. Now, he was ruddy with, notice about David, he had beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And what happened? The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah, where he was buried, by the way. Now the Spirit of the Lord, what happened to Saul? Departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Wow. Wow. Now we live, I'm so glad that we live in the new covenant because we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And once you become a Christian, you have eternal life and that life is eternal and God's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. But in the old covenant, It was possible for the Spirit of the Lord to come down on somebody and then to depart. And in this case, it happened and Saul was terrorized. And you know what calmed down Saul when he was having these problems? It was David's harp. And as David played, Saul would chill. But you remember, Saul even tried to kill David, right? Took the spear and tried to take him out. He even tried to do that to his own son. And so... This is Saul's sad history. And if you go t- turn back to 1 Samuel 28, what did Saul say at the end of the life, uh, end of his life? He said, "I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. I have played the fool and erred exceedingly." You know, none of us want to come down to the end of our lives and say words like that, do we? None of us want to have a deathbed experience and say, "I have been a fool." Because Saul knew what was right and he had the Spirit of God working in his life, but yet it's very evident that even though the Spirit of God was there, Saul still made bad decisions. And here is a New Testament application for us. Even though we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, we still fight that old nature. The flesh wars against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. The two are what? Contrary to one another, so sometimes we don't do the things that we wish. But what we want to do is let the Spirit dominate our lives. Well, so here's Saul, the great king. The Spirit of the Lord had come upon him. Now what is he doing? He's going to a medium. God had said earlier in the Bible that they should not even live. He had cleansed the land of the mediums and spiritists back in 1 Samuel 28. But now what's happening in Saul's life? Well, God is not answering Saul anymore. See, Saul's got the, uh, the Philistines. They've gathered. He's afraid. He turns. And he's going to the wrong place for answers. He was greatly troubled, verse 5, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by prophets, which were the three main ways that God would answer. And so what was Saul to do? Can you blame him? I mean, wouldn't you go to a medium right after that? (laughs) No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't, right? But do you think that there are Christians sitting in Christian churches who are quite open to that idea? Oh, a seance. Oh, a palm reader. Oh, that sounds fun. Then you find out, oh yeah, I'm a Baptist. What are you doing going to a palm reader? Well, I just thought it would be fun, right? Do you know anything about the Bible? Do they teach you the Bible? Do you read the Bible? But oftentimes, sometimes because of ignorance, sometimes because of just outright rebellion, people do that. What do you think Saul should have done in this situation? God's not answering him. He's got an army there. He's got to make some decisions. He did the right thing. That's what God wants is to seek him out, right? But God's not giving him an answer. What do you think would have been a good move for Saul at this point? What should he have done? Waiting would have been a good one, right? Hmm, I'm not getting the answer. Option B is the medium. Option C is to wait. Which door should I choose? Okay, what else? Hmm? Maybe he could have retreated. Maybe he could have thought, well, the Lord's not in this. He's not, the battle belongs to the Lord, but the Lord's not telling me to battle. So I'm getting out of here. Maybe he should have looked for another man of God. Now Samuel wasn't around, but I'm sure there were other godly people around. Is that it? Well, that's who he went looking for in the wrong way, and we'll talk about that in a second. But you know what else Saul could have done? Saul could have looked on the inside and asked himself, I wonder why the Lord's not answering me. I wonder why there's this block I think you whispered repent, right? Maybe he needed to look at his own life. Sometimes when we feel distant, that's the last thing that we do. We're trying to figure everything out. What did I do wrong here? What did I do? Did I make that wrong? Did I not, you know, move the block? And that maybe it's just that we need to, to do some circumspection, some looking at self. But oftentimes we don't do that. You know, I think that's what made David such a great man. He even asked God, search my heart, Lord. If there's any wicked way in me, then cleanse it and lead me in the everlasting way. David wasn't perfect, but he was honest about himself. Well, of all these doors, unfortunately, Saul chooses the bad door. Saul inquired. He didn't get the answer. So Saul said, verse 7, to his servant, Seek for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Uh, I believe Star Wars stole that, by the way. (laughs) Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. By the way, if you ever need to disguise yourself to go somewhere, if you ever need to hide your identity to go to a certain location, that's probably an indication that you do not belong there. So Saul disguised himself. He put on other clothes. I would imagine non-kingly kind of clothes. And he went, and he and two men with him took some other guys with him. Unfortunately, sometimes when we sin, we bring others with us. And they came to the woman by night. Another indication that he was doing this on the sly. He was probably in Philistine territory in Endor as well. And he said... Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. That word conjure there means divine them up. And by the way, the word necromancy, which I mentioned earlier, is defined this way. Necromancy is contacting, communicating with, interacting with, summoning, or trafficking with spirits of the dead. Often this is done to obtain information hidden or otherwise about the past, present, or future for purpose of, purposes of performing magic and or for other mundane matters. I want to know what Aunt Betsy says about that lost brooch. And I told you about the programs where uh, John Edward, do you remember he was on the billboards a couple years ago? He talked to the dead and he said that you know, he was you know, basically hearing from dead people and he was telling you about. You know what Uncle Sam said and he did all these readings for movie stars and he even said that he called up somebody's dead dog and the dead dog was there and the dog is, he's sitting in your lap now and everything's okay and the people sitting there, it's okay, you know. And I'm being serious now. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, there was one actor, I can't remember his name now, who was so impressed that his dead dog was called up by John Edwards and John had all this inside information. By the way, this is one of the major reasons why Protestants um, object to praying to saints in Catholicism because in praying to saints, one is practicing, whether they want to call it this or not, necromancy, which is to call upon the dead to somehow intercede for you. And it's strictly forbidden by the Bible. And I, I, I would imagine that there's a lot of Catholics who don't really understand the issue and uh, they're just simply misled or they've bought into a system that teaches them this, but uh, it's unfortunate that they're praying to saints. And by the way, just as a side note, if you're praying to Mary... Mary is not God. She was highly favored by God, but she's not an omniscient being. She's not omnipresent. If somebody in Brazil is praying to Mary and someone in Mexico and someone in America and someone in the Ukraine, Mary's not hearing everybody's prayers. She's not to be prayed to anyway because there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. We don't need to go to dead saints. We don't need to go to Mary, the mother of God, to intercede for us. We have one high priest Who says, you come to me through the throne of grace. Why would we go to a dead saint when we can come to a living Savior? That makes absolutely no sense. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done. Now she's talking to Saul, but she doesn't know it yet. Verse 9. How he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are then you laying a snare for my life? Maybe she thinks he's a spy to bring about my death. Maybe they sent you here to, to, to rot me out. And Saul vowed to her, notice, by the Lord. (laughs) Wait a minute. He's making vows by the Lord? What did he say to her by the Lord? As the Lord lives, there shall be no punishment coming upon you for this thing. He was walking in blatant disobedience and ironically he calls upon the God who says this is an abomination to him to give the woman confidence. The woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me when the woman saw Samuel. Now, I don't find anything in the text that she went into a trance state or she began to invoke the spirits or anything like that. It may well be, and and there's differences in, uh, in Bible commentators on this particular thing. It may well be that as soon as it was said, Samuel just arrived on the scene. It may be that she was simply not able to do this prior to this and so she was freaked out when it actually happened. Or maybe he showed up in a way that she had never seen before. I don't know. You're going to have to chew on that. But when she saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke to Saul saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now I don't know. Again, The text doesn't give me enough to tell me how she knew that. But Samuel has come and she realizes in the moment um, that it is him. And the king said to her, don't be afraid. But what do you see? Apparently she sees it, but he doesn't. And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. The uh, Hebrew word, by the way, there is Elohim. And it is translated, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth, which is how the New King James translates it. The Hebrew word Elohim doesn't always refer to God with a capital G. It could be uh, false gods, it could be angels, rulers, or judges, and in this case, something like a spirit coming out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe or a mantle. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Now, there's lots of conjecture about this. Why is it that Samuel is an old man? Why is he coming up? Why is there a robe around him? Is this just simply God giving some form to a spirit being who otherwise his body would be in the ground? And how does he have the form that he had when he was on the earth? And there's a lot of different ways to kind of assimilate this information. Uh, he may have God may have simply just done this for the benefit of Saul knowing that it was Samuel. And that would be my best shot at it because Samuel was with the Lord in soul. And I would argue prior, I know this is deep, but prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was in uh, Hades in the compartment for the righteous awaiting the resurrection of Jesus Christ still in paradise. But I'm going to argue in a soul form And then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. I'm looking for answers, Samuel. I've come to the the sorceress. I've come to the medium. I'm looking for something good. Give me some inside information. I'm hungering for it. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy or your adversary? And the Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. You could see Saul's face, can't you? And as you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on, the, on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you to this day or this day. Moreover, nineteen, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, how do you like this? This is the information he wanted so desperately. Therefore tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And indeed the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Of the Philistines. Oh boy. I want the information. Tell me. Tell me. I want to know what to do. Okay? Tomorrow, you're dead. (laughs) Signing off. Wow. The next day, Saul was in the battlefield. You know the story. Philistines focused on him. Ran him down along with his sons. Killed him. Well, he was mortally wounded actually and he fell on his own sword and died. Jonathan died that day too, by the way. David's good friend. Why? Because Saul was a fool. In 1st Chronicles 10:13 and 14. 1st Chronicles 10:13 and 14, just write it down. It says of Saul, so Saul died for his trespass which he committed against the Lord because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep. And also, this is why he died, First Chronicles ten thirteen, because he asked counsel of a medium making inquiry of it and did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and he turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. This is why Saul died, because he was disobedient to the Lord. How many people in our world... Have that kind of uh, sober view of the occult. How many people in our world see the candy-coated, sugar-coated, uh, made for primetime media shows that glamorize and uh, uh, basically put for human consumption the people who don't understand the real issue when it comes to the occult? Now, don't get me wrong. Probably two-thirds of mediums that you would go to are phonies. Don't get me wrong. If you showed up at some place or a friend of yours did and they went to a palm reader, it might just be a whole hoax. It might be a whole bunch of shenanigans. But I think it's safe to say that while two-thirds of them may be total phonies, a third of them are getting some sort of information from some source other than God. God will not be in that equation ever. He will not honor that. And so the issue then comes... What do we do as Christians? Well, I want to turn you to a couple New Testament passages, and we'll be done. And two of them are found in the book of Acts. So if you turn to the book of Acts, I want to show you how some Christians handled these guys. Acts chapter 8, first of all. Acts 8, verse 9. Acts 8, verse 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts Acts eight verse nine. Now there was a certain man named Simon who formerly was practic- practicing magic or sorcery, magical arts, in the city, and astonishing the people of Samaria claiming to be someone great. Acts 8:10. And they all, from smallest to greatest, all of Samaria, notice, were giving attention to him, saying, "This man is what is called the great power of God." And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. Wow, he was the man of the hour. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were be- being baptized both men and women alike. Now, you could read the rest of the story, but I would say the first answer to the occult and a world that's becoming more and more open and saturated to the occult is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a uh, revival that happens in Samaria as you read on in Acts 8. The powerful preaching of Philip, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Simon was no match to that kind of thing. And so with the preaching of the gospel comes deliverance of people who are involved in witchcraft and sorcery. You know later on in the book of Acts, Paul is in, um, I'm trying to remember the, the town, but people, there's such a revival there that people start burning their magic books, you remember that, and repenting and receiving Christ. It is possible for people involved in witchcraft and the occult, whether you know them, they're in your family, uh, they're involved in practices that are outside of what God would uh, uh, say is allowed, yet still there's hope for them in the gospel. And so that's the first thing that I would say. Secondly, look at Acts 13. So the preaching of the gospel, the faithful preaching of the gospel. By the way, that's the only thing that'll stem the tide of Islam. That's the only thing that's going to stem the tide of the moral decay of America is transformation from the inside out. And what brings that? The preaching of the gospel. So we better preach the whole gospel as the church so that people can truly be saved and there will be genuine transformation. Secondly, Acts 13 verse 6. Now here's Paul. When they had gone, Acts 13:6, through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar Jesus. Interesting name, huh? Son of Jesus. Who was with, by the way, that means son of salvation if you translate, translate it out all the way. Uh, who was with the proconsul? this is a, a leader now in the um, government, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul, sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for thus his name is translated, his Greek name, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from, from the faith. Have you ever had a moment where you were trying to witness to somebody and there was somebody else in the midst, interrupting, flying around, causing havoc, and you're close, you know, this person's close to receiving Christ and you just note this distraction buzzing around the room. Now I want you to notice, but Saul, who is also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit here's another key we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to deal with spiritual warfare of this nature fixed his gaze upon him and he said hey let's do lunch and talk about what you believe and what I believe perhaps we can find some common ground and see how our religious views and religions can help one another no he didn't say that at all he said you are full of all deceit and fraud you son of the devil how do you like that for political correctness you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Wow, wow. Now, what happened to this guy? Well, if you read on in Acts 13, he says, you, You're making crooked the straight ways of the Lord, and now behold, the hand of the Lord, verse 11, is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist. A darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. See, compared to the power of God, the power of Satan is nothing. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed. I'm surprised it doesn't say at the, the, the power, but it says being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. When he heard the gospel, he was amazed. That's what saved him. And the power demonstrated was simply to affirm the good news of the gospel. The power of God. A Wycliffe uh, Bible translator was working with a remote tribal group in the Philippines. Came to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12, what does it say? The the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is living and powerful, right? So, Wycliffe translator, working with this remote uh, Philippines tribe, comes to Hebrews 4.12, and he needs a word for powerful. His national language helper suggested the word magadat. Magadat? asked the translator. What does that mean? We use it to describe what happens when a person is bitten by a poisonous snake, answered the helper. And we also use it to describe medicine because many of our medicines are made from extracts of snakes and their venom. Well, how will the reader know whether we're saying the word of God is living and poisonous Or the word of God is living and medicinal, said the translator. The language helper hit a home run when he said, Well, it won't matter. If you ignore the word, it will bite you. If you submit to it, it will heal you. Either way, it will affect you. (laughs) Okay, finally tonight, Acts 16. Acts 16. That's great, though. The word of God is powerful. Sergius Paulus is overcome. He's impressed with the word. And notice how Satan tries to keep people from being saved. And often, uh, Jesus said when, in the parable of the soils, remember? The, the seed uh, hits the ground, and what happens? The devil comes and snatches it away, right? He doesn't like people getting saved and serious about Christ. Acts 16, 16. Final uh, text. Acts sixteen, sixteen. And it happened, here's Paul again, As we were going to the place of prayer, Luke is describing this now. A certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us. Who was bringing her master as much profit by fortune telling? Now, notice the spirit in her (coughs) was able to predict the future. Interesting. And they were making money from it. She was a cash cow. (coughs) Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying. These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. By the way, the Greek word there is not the way, but a way of salvation, literally. You might want to note that in your Bible. That was the problem. And she continued doing this. By the way, they didn't need her to do this. They were proclaiming it. They didn't need the the help of the demon or whatever. But she continued to do this for many days. And Paul, don't you love the humanity of Paul? He was greatly annoyed. Uh, I've marked that and circled that in my Bible. That gives me reason to be greatly annoyed. And turned and said to the Spirit. Now he didn't even say it to the girl. Who did he say it to? The Spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Notice the power that Christians have in the presence of demonic spirits. And whose name did he use? In the name of Jesus Christ, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we have authority. Jesus said to his own apostles, I give you authority to tread on serpents. You can Remember that the disciples came back and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons surrender to you or submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen? But the power is available and Paul uses it. And if you're ever in a situation, remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. First John, I think it's 5, 18 or 19 says, the devil cannot touch you. I get calls from Christians, uh, not on a regular basis, but every now and then. The devil's harassing me. and I and, and certainly the devil can oppress us. But I tell Christians, the devil can't touch you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have so-called deliverance ministries that tell people you can be possessed as a Christian. I got an email over the internet a week ago from a woman saying, I'm confused. I'm being told that Christians can be possessed. Uh, I was at a dinner and this lady who's the, uh, who was a waitress was being uh, basically talked to by these two alleged Christians saying that she needed demons casted out of her. The demons of alcoholism and and food addictions. And I told this lady in the email just to summarize it, the problem isn't that you have a demon of alcoholism. The problem is you and your flesh. The demon is not putting the bottle to your lips. You are. And I said this is especially true when it comes to Christians who cannot be demon-possessed. Certainly um, demons can harass us and they can even possess non-Christians. But I think oftentimes too much credit is given. What's, well, who's the old comedian who said, The devil made me do it. Flip Wilson theology, right? Well, notice. <laughs> so she continued. The, the spirit came out at that very moment. Now notice her empathetic masters but when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone. Now, this woman's been demon possessed. That's the power that gives her the ability to tell fortunes. And the, after she's delivered from the demon by the authority of Christ through Paul, what do the owners say? Oh, man, we lost our little cash cow girl. Our profit is gone. What empathy, what understanding. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Boy, and then you'll be told later on, they were beaten with rods. Many blows were inflicted upon them. And where did they end up? In prison for delivering a girl from demonic possession. Sometimes when you take on evil, it may cost you temporarily. But what were they doing at midnight a little later on? Singing hymns to God. Prisoners were listening, and God said, It's time to do some shaking. You remember? And all of a sudden, the cuffs came off, the prison doors opened, and Paul and his companion were free. Trust the Lord. He'll do abundantly beyond what you could ask or imagine. He is powerful, He is the God of the universe, and compared to Satan, Satan is simply a fallen angel. I'm not saying He doesn't have any power, but I'm saying we serve a great and awesome God. And so we stand courageously, victoriously in the finished work of Jesus and we go in this world and tell people, this is how you can be saved. Right? Lord, thank you so much for your great love for us, your awesome gospel. Father, we just want to serve you with all that we have. We just want to express our love to you tonight. Lord, you said that you would give us power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Lord, we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Lord, if you are for us, who can be against us? You did not spare your own son, you gave him up for us. How will you not freely give us all things? We just rejoice. We know it's not all about our temporary pleasure. It's about your eternal kingdom. And if people are finding um, some quote unquote answers in the occult, let us be confident that they will not find any satisfying eternal answers there. Let us boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us forsake everything that even smacks of the occult. But let us also be winsome in the way that we treat people, in the way we talk to them. Let us not be offensive. Let us tell people about the hope of Jesus, his delivering power, uh, the way he can rescue us from even a life dominated by Satan. And Lord, tonight, we just want to give you thanks for saving us. I ask you'll bless your precious people here tonight, those who may listen to this by CD, that you will uh, just continue to help us to walk in freedom and to walk in obedience because we love you. Not because it'll save us, we're already saved, but because We want to express our gratitude to you, Lord, and say that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.